Good morning. Um, we're starting a new series today uh, called Your Part Matters. And we believe, like I mentioned at the start of service, that, that God's doing unbelievable work in the world, that he is birthing a redemption movement, that he is going to eventually be the king over everything, and things will be made right. But until then, we live in the midst of a broken world where tragedy like what happened last night happens. But we're invited into that change. We're invited to participate. He's doing something in and through us if we would have the courage to step into what he has for us. And so we believe that God does most of the heavy lifting. He meets us in our desperation. He shows up and he saves us from our sin. He offers us a new and a complete life. And he says, will you follow me? And he does all the saving, all the miraculous work, 99.99% of the work, Jesus says. But there is that decision that we have to make. Your part matters. You still have to show up to be changed. You still have to participate in the kingdom movement that he's, he's uh, birthing in our midst. We still have to be there with people as they're hurting and as they're, they're broken and show up in the midst of their tragedy. Be there. Be the, the presence of God in desperate situations. Your part matters. In our weakness, he's made strong, but you've got to show up with your weakness. Your part matters. And so what we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks are, are some decisions that you can make, some habits that you can um, install in your life so that you can grow in your faith, so that when these big, insurmountable challenges happen or there's brokenness that seems all too present, you can show up in Jesus' name. Or you can get through in Jesus' name when tragedy surrounds your life. Jesus is doing something unbelievable, and he offers us, us this invitation. God invites us to be changed by him. I think it's important to start there this morning. This very bottom level truth that he invites us to be changed by him. Because who we are before Jesus and what is normal in a broken world isn't what God desires for us. He wants us to be changed. We see this at the very beginning of the Gospels in Matthew 4, 19. Jesus is walking and um, it says this, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He offers this invitation, follow me. He gets to be the one in charge. He gets to be the one setting the, the agenda. But he will make us into something should we follow him. He wants us to participate and what he's doing, follow me and I'll make you something. This was an unbelievable invitation because these guys were fishermen and they got an opportunity to follow a rabbi and do what he was doing, be a part of his ministry, join in on his healing and what he would do in the world. Unbelievable invitation. And every time I think about this, I always think about a moment with my son when he was about two years old. We got him a Chipotle kid's meal and he ate it which means mostly he put it on the floor around him. He somehow multiplied the food and put it on the ground. It was a miracle. But after the meal, we were going to clean up, and so I went and got the broom and dust down, and he said, you know, I'll help you, Dada. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. It's going to be a great teachable moment. And so I gave him the dustpan, and I told him, keep it down on the ground. I'm going to sweep the stuff in there. you got to carry it over to the trash can and throw it in the trash can. Got it. Like, okay, you got it. And so I swept the stuff into the trash can, and he picked it up, and then as he started walking, he threw it over his shoulder and put a couple of the things into the trash can, but mostly it was all back there. And he's like, I helped you. And I was like, yeah, kind of. Kind of you did. 
But I still loved it because he was participating in cleaning up this mess that was in and around us. And Jesus invites us, even when, even when we don't know exactly what we're doing. And even in the midst of kind of a mess, if we can do our small part, if we can play our part, our part matters. And so we have to show up to participate in the change that he wants to bring in the world. And that reality, the reality of the change that Jesus wants to bring to the world is very, very present today. God is not happy with what happened last night. God's heartbroken over the heartbreak that was caused and the evil that happened in our city. But that's why we gather. So we can respond to those situations. So that we can participate in the restoration that has to happen now. Because people's families are broken. Lives were lost. And so what are we going to do? How can we show up? And we ought to show up in common sense ways. If you know somebody that was affected and you can just go be with them and listen to them and hear them and be with them in their sadness, then that's that. If you can provide a meal, if you can show up, whatever, we have to find ways that we can participate and bring the presence of God to this dark situation. We need to stand out like a light in this darkness. This is the darkness that we're faced with, but we will not be overcome by it because we have Jesus who's inviting us to do something now. And so how can we participate in that? He invites us to be changed by him. So we can put in these habits into our life and grow to be more and more like Jesus. But the number one thing that we can do, and the place that we can start today, the number one catalyst for growing your faith, for becoming more like Jesus, is reflection on scripture. The number one catalyst for growing your faith is reflection on scripture. It's spending time in God's word. The very best place to start is in this recorded history of God's interaction with humanity and how he's restoring and redeeming and moving us from brokenness and alienation from God into a new life with him. That he offers us something that's unbelievably unattainable on our own. We get to read and reflect on that history and that story and the wisdom that's found here. It's the number one thing that will grow your faith so that when you're faced with dark nights like this, when you're faced with tragedy like this, you know how to respond because you spent time with how God would respond and the love and the joy and the hope and the peace that that can bring. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. I'm sure you've heard that passage if you've been around church at all. It's a very, very popular, especially PBS passage or Sunday school passage. Like that's one of those ones that the Sunday school teachers always say, like, you know, it's profitable, we can do this, and you should study but there's more context to that. And the reason that reflection on Scripture is so important when it comes to growing your faith is because there's more there than just that surface understanding. Of course we believe that Scripture is profitable. But let's look at the whole context, and let's look at why it was written and when it was written, because there's more underneath that. And I think it speaks directly into what we're going through today. Paul writes this second letter to his dear friend and his disciple, his apprentice, Timothy, from prison. Paul has been freed from a Roman, Roman prison. 
enjoyed some sense of freedom for a while, continued to do God's work, and then got arrested again in Rome. And he's sitting in a Roman prison for the second time, writing a letter to Timothy, sitting in this cold dungeon. It's it's not like a prison that you would picture today, but it's like this cut out in the ground, no walls or no windows. There are plenty of walls, you know, whatever. Uh, You're locked in. It's cold. It's damp. There's no windows. You can't. You're just sitting in there. And he's waiting to be executed. And we get that from this funny little phrase in 2 Timothy 1.1. And he says, for the sake of the promise of life. And it's a weird and unique statement for Paul to write. But it alerts the reader and alerts Timothy to this reality that Paul knows his life is but a fleeting moment. That at any moment, the guards could come in and kill him. They could come in and kill him for participating in what God's doing in the world. They're going to come in and execute him for doing exactly what I'm encouraging all of us to do when we leave this place. Go and participate in the reconciliation and the redemption that God wants to do in the world. And so he's writing this urgent message from a prison cell. And he doesn't hedge his bet, and he doesn't cower at all. He just writes passionately this letter to his friend Timothy. So he's sitting there, and he writes this in 2 Timothy 3.10. Bear with me for a, a little bit of a long passage. I think it's important. He writes this urgently. He says, but you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance along with the persecutions and suffering that came to me in all of these places. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you've known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may completely equip for every good work. He, in the middle of his prison cell, waiting to be executed for this mission, this movement of God that he has participated in, says, double down. You know the truth. It's going to get worse before it gets better, but you've got to hold on to what you know is true. You've got to hold on to the truth because all of this, all of the scripture, all of the Holy Bible is true and it's profitable. And so hold on to it. Don't be deceived. It's going to get, don't be deceived by everything. It's going to get worse, but you have to hold on. Because you have to carry this forward. I'm in this prison cell, and I'm gladly in this prison cell because my life, my offering of my life, my sacrifice of my life is almost gone like a drink offering. I'm about to be taken off this planet, but you've got to carry it forward to future generations. We see in 2 Timothy 4, 6 that he knew it was coming. But he still tells it, just keep pressing in. And he promises kind of two big ideas in this passage. One is that a new life with Jesus or a life with Jesus will include persecution. 
A life with Jesus will include persecution. I wish this weren't the case. But no matter how you read this text, unless you don't read it correctly, it's a pretty unavoidable reality that there will be opposition to the change that's happening in your life and to the change that you wish to bring to the world around you. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, well, that's pretty hard to get around, right? I mean, it just says flat out, you're going to be persecuted. But we live sometimes like that's not true. And so let's exegete the text a little bit to see if we can get some context that can get us out of this persecution. So what is the context? Who's writing this? When did he write it? Who is he writing it to? Paul wrote this from a prison cell waiting to be executed because of his new life in Jesus. That doesn't help us out of it at all, right? Like that makes it actually more pressing that we're probably going to be persecuted. Let's see who he wrote it to and what happened to that person. He wrote it to Timothy. Let me check my notes here. Yeah, he was stoned to death for his faith. Yeah. Persecution is going to happen. It just will. And persecution will look different on different scales. We live in a country where we're probably not going to be killed for our faith, but we might lose out on a promotion, which means a big life change, because we were honest instead of deceitful when we were supposed to be deceitful to help the bottom line. We might get alienated from certain groups because we won't participate in what they're doing because of the new morality and life that we have. We might get not invited to certain things on a Sunday because we're dedicated to being in this place, to be sent out from this place to go participate in what God's doing in the world. But persecution is on the rise in many different scales in the world. Globally, Christian persecution is believed to be at its highest levels. In an average month, over 300 Christians are killed for following Jesus. In an average month, over 200 churches would be burned or completely destroyed. In an average 30-day period, there's upwards of 800 of followers of Christ who will be beaten, tortured, raped, or imprisoned for following their faith. So anywhere you go in the world, this reality is playing out. Because this is pointing out that systems, whether huge governmental systems or interpersonal systems, long, they will fight to keep the status quo. And we, as followers of Jesus, are sick to death tired of the status quo that says that we can wake up on a Sunday morning and 10 people were killed in a minute. We're sick of that being our reality. And so we want to participate in a new life that God is calling us to, one that sees our enemies and says we will love you in spite of our enmity. We want to see people and include them and bring them into the new life that Jesus has for them. We're sick of what's normal until we will be completely different, and that difference will cause us to be persecuted and left out. Will we have the courage, though, to step into it anyway? Because Paul was sitting in a prison cell, and he didn't waver. He said, Timothy, listen, you're going to be the one. You're going to be the one that has to carry it forward because I'm about done here. I'm probably going to have my head cut off, but it's still worth it because there's nothing better than participating in the redemption movement of the king of the universe because I, for one, me personally here today, am tired of hearing in the news that dozens of people, that multiple people, that 30 people yesterday were killed because evil still exists in this world. And I want to do what I can to bring the love and hope and restitution, restoration of Jesus into this world however I can. I can't do everything, but I will participate even if it means I get left out of some things. Even if it costs me my life. Because what could be better? What could possibly be better? 
getting to be a change, getting to be a light in this dark world. I'm tired of it. And we're not here pretending. We're here believing that God wants to do something unbelievable in and through us. That he sends us out these doors to be different than the world that we are encountering. In Jesus' name. But he doesn't just stop and saying participate. He also leaves this incredible encouragement and big idea that scripture equips us for our new life. That knowing the Bible, that studying it well, it's important because you will be challenged. And so you have to know what God says in this book. And again, Paul wrote this from a prison cell waiting to be executed. And he still says that scripture is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and for training in righteousness so that you'd be completely equipped for every good work. You have to hold on to, we have to hold on to, I have to hold on to what is in this book and it has to change me. So let's go back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is not some little memory verse phrase that lacks power or lacks gusset. Like this is an important thing that Paul is saying when he says all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you may be completed, so you may be complete, equipped for every good work. He says that after training, teaching, correcting, training in righteousness, and being put in prison for it. And being sentenced to death for doing that. Because he got put in prison for a while. Then he got let out of prison. And they thought that putting him in prison would stop him from doing those things. And then he went back to prison for doing those things. And they're like, okay, well, we've got to kill this guy. That's going to stop the movement of the kingdom of God. And guess what? It did not. Because we're here today and we're still tired that too many people live in the reality. Not knowing that God loves them and has a new life for them. Not knowing that there's a place where they can belong and be known and be seen and they can have a new future written for them in Jesus name scripture equips us for our new life as we go out and it will change us and so today really simple next step start a bible reading habit start a bible reading habit whatever that is for you and for many of us in this room we need to take the next step in our Bible reading habit. But here's three things that can help you. One is start small. Whatever goal you have for reading scripture, start smaller than that ultimate goal. Start in something you can attain. If you're not reading a chapter a day, don't think that you can just start reading a chapter a day and you'll never miss. Maybe start with a verse. Start smaller than what you have and then grow into the goal that you have. Start small. It's okay to start small. Don't stay in that small goal. It's okay to start small, but just don't stay there. But if you've never started, then start small. Number two is don't miss twice. Don't miss twice. You will miss. You will miss a day. Don't miss twice. And if you miss twice, don't miss three times. And if you miss three times, don't miss four times. Start over. 
There is grace upon grace upon grace for us. Don't lose your hold on this book. Study it well. Spend time in it every day. And if you miss a day, don't miss twice. And finally, find accountability. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have small groups. That's why we do a midweek connect so that you can be with people who will challenge you in doing this and who will hold you accountable and who will look you in the face and say, hey, I haven't noticed you reading scripture anymore. What are you reading in scripture? Because on the Bible app, I haven't seen you've been checking off your stuff. Do you really have, are you doing any of the reading? You know, somebody that will get into your business and not let you off the hook for skipping. Somebody that will help you not miss twice. You need accountability. You need somebody that will help you. And then, so start small, don't miss twice, and find accountability. But then reflect on what you're reading. Because like we saw today, there's more than just the surface value. There's more than just the easy to grab onto. There's more than just what it says on the page. Who was it written to? Why did they write it? What's the audience? What are all the, ask those questions, but start with these two questions. What is God saying? And what am I going to do about it? Jason mentioned these last week in his message. And they're two questions that I use an awful lot because when I ask what is God saying, it forces me to consider what was the author writing? Why, why did they write that? One of the helpful phrases when it comes to studying scripture is that the Bible can never mean what it never meant. And that really keeps you from taking things out of context. And so if you consider the context and you find out what that verse actually meant, the Bible can never mean what it never meant. It has to mean that still, and it applies to us today. It's part of the unbelievable nature of Scripture is that for generation after generation after generation, these truths have been timeless, and they've changed the lives of the people that were reading them. So what is the Bible saying, and what am I going to do about it? Because spending time in God's Word, inviting the Holy Spirit in through that time to change you, it should change you. If I stood up here today, and I told you that for the past 20 years, I've been competitive bodybuilder. I would hope that you would think, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> or you're lying, right? This, this, you're doing it wrong. And we sit sometimes in church after 20 years, and we look past the person in need sitting next to us. You're doing it wrong. Because Jesus showed up and he wept when Lazarus died. Jesus felt the power go out from behind him as he healed a woman that had been sick. We have to be changed. We have to be changed by our time in Scripture. A world is desperate for change to come. A world is desperate for people who will take seriously the calling of Jesus to be changed by him to go across borders or to go across the street to bring the reconciliation that God wants to bring. God is tired of, tired of this brokenness, and he sends us out to be his people in the world. He sends us out to be evidence that change is possible because he's changed our lives, because he's made us new, because he's given us a new life and a new future. 
What the world needs are disciples who take seriously the call to make disciples who make disciples in Jesus' name. People that take seriously looking at scripture and letting it challenge and change their life. And then interacting with the world so that the world changes around them. We will not stop every tragedy, but we can respond to tragedy in Jesus' name. And we can maybe stop something in the future by the way that we interact with the loner or the person that's hurting or the person that's desperate right now today. We can do that. Today we can do that. And today we're sent out of this place to go do that. Let us not be a church that pretends that Jesus can change lives. Let us be a church that proves that Jesus changes lives by the way that we live when we leave this place. Let us be a billboard for God's grace and his goodness and the new life that's possible in his power. He will do the heavy lifting, but your part matters, and so show up and be willing to be changed and be willing to let go of the things that are holding you back from being more and more like Jesus. The gospel show us an example for a perfect life. It's the life of Jesus, and so follow his example, and so find the wisdom in the epistles. So find the, the wisdom in the rest of the New Testament. Hear the stories of the Old Testament, how God has been faithful to humanity, even though humanity hasn't been faithful to God. Hold on to that wisdom and go live a changed life in front of people. Because I'm sick to death of what's normal. I'm sick of what's normal. It's not surprising anymore to wake up to news like we woke up to today, and that's unacceptable. What can we do to participate in the change? Matthew 4.20 says that at once they dropped their nets and they followed him. Those two men were both martyred for their faith, both killed for participating in what Jesus was doing in the world. Don't leave here today thinking that it's going to be easy, but leave here today knowing that it's going to be worth it and knowing that it's absolutely necessary. It will cost you and it will be worth it. From a prison cell, awaiting execution, we got this beacon of hope in a dark world. All scripture is profitable. Can we hold on to that? Can we make our lives something that every day pursues more wisdom from this book? Because it will grow your faith like nothing else. So every week, we stop and we take communion. And today, I hope it's a more I want to say haunting reality. I hope that the weight of what we're invited into hits you because Jesus is life. His body was broken and so we eat the cracker to remember that. His blood was shed and so we drink the juice to remember that. So that we could have a new life, so that all of our sins could be forgiven so that we could participate in what he's doing in the world right now and so that we could join him for eternity. But let's not skip over the here and now part where we get to participate in what God is doing in our city, in the lives of the people that are desperate and in need. Don't look past the people who need comfort today. Remember what you're invited into and it's better than anything else that you could live for never experienced.
accepted that reality. If you've never accepted the new life that Jesus has to offer, it is better than anything you could ever ask for. It is a new, full, and complete life. Your past erased, your future rewritten, and your eternity secured. Will you pray with me before we take communion? We are blown away that you know us and you still invite us. Give us the courage to go from this place. It's so good to be together. And help us to leave well and live well in between. We hold on to these days together as, as this as we go back out to be your people in the world. Give us another dose of courage as we go face that world today. Help us to be your people. Thank you for your son and his baptism.